What's up, gentlemen? This is Rising Phoenix Podcast, the podcast about how to rise up after your divorce. I'm your host, Michael Rhodes. Let's get into it. Joining me today is Angela Skirtu. Uh, Angela, let's just jump right into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a licensed couples and sex therapist, and I have two books, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity and Premarital Counseling, A Guide for Clinicians. And I'm a speaker. So, so the infidelity piece is, is uh, why I wanted you on today. And, and uh, specifically, we were going to talk about, uh, to begin, the, the five different types of infidelity. So let's let's talk about that. Let's Let's define those different types. Yeah, sure. So I have my trusty book with me so I can actually tell you what they are. So one is called The Serial Affair, which is where it's a series of one night stands um, or many affairs. Um, This could be like if somebody has like a history of visiting prostitutes, for example, or if they just kind of do one offs here and there, then there's the fling. Um, So a fling is kind of like you kind of just meet somebody and, um, you know, things just kind of happen and, and it's a quick, it's a quick dalliance, but then it goes away. Mm. Then there's a romantic love affair when people really fall like deeply and heartily, heartily in love with each other. And there's a really difficult, um, depending on where they're caught, this is the, this is the fun part about affairs for me. It's not fun for everybody else, but I'm a therapist. So like, I, I'm into like the gory details of things, like when people struggle to let go, like, so when, when, whenever somebody is found, if, if a relationship has a way of going through its whole course, then and then it's found out, it's a little bit easier to deal with than if it's found out midway when somebody's still in the throes of passion, essentially. Um, but so in this romantic love affair style, when they're found out in the throes, it's a very difficult thing for them to like remove themselves from the affair. And then another one is the long-term affair. And these are ones that can last for anywhere from... I mean, the longest one I, I worked with was seven years, seven years. Wow. Yeah. Like when they, the, the couple stayed married actually, which I mean, I was like, okay, more power to you for trying to do this. But that was like a third of their marriage that this, this affair was happening. And then of course the fifth one is the emotional affair, which is where it's, it's, it's odd. Like it's a friendship. It's kind of a, you know, there's a connection there. There's a like closeness, but it's not quite cross the line of kissing or doing something romantic or sexual. Some of these emotional affairs can happen online. For example, if people get like interesting ones where I, I uh, like I remember having a client where they were playing some sort of video game, like these, these video games. And that was kind of an emotional affair between the guy and the girl because they were just spending a lot of time. It was basically a world where you could have like a separate life but like a, a fake life. And I don't know, I'm not a video gamer, so I don't know the names of it, but like they had kind of created an emotional fair mm. through being married online. And wow. so that was interesting too, you know? How much do you see those types? Like what, if you had to um, pick the majority, and I know that's not fair because you don't have like that data right in front of your face, but just your gut feeling, like which one of those do you see most often in your office? I would say I see a blend of all of them. Like, to be honest, like there's a mix of all of them. I would say it depends on where people are at in their, um, their lives and their marriage. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, I see a lot of emotional affairs in lesbian couples (laughs) and well, if you think about it, think of how a lesbian relationship kind of builds itself. Right. So like they always start with friendships that kind of, you know, you feel close, but then it feels like an emotional affair because it's like, well, 
how is this any different than what we did to start? You're, you're getting really close with this friend. So like the, the whole friendship thing can feel very, it can feel sordid mm. at times. Interesting. So there's, that's high in that community, the emotional affair. Mm. Um, for the um, those romantic love affair ones, those happen a lot during that 40 year old period for people, you know, like there's this like, I always say 40s is when, you know, you realize your life is half gone and you're like looking at things and you say to yourself, what do I have left here? Like, do I want the rest of my life to look like this? And then sometimes you just meet somebody in that same spot. And that's how that like romantic affair kind of happens. Isn't that like a uh, essentially a midlife crisis? I mean, it, it can definitely be a component of a midlife crisis. It doesn't have to be, though. Like there are midlife crisis is where people buy cars or buy bigger houses or they do big life changes. Like they decide I'm not going to work at this job anymore. I want to do something else. I just say when people have a midlife crisis, they definitely do have those same feelings and they have to decide how to, I guess, proactively take charge of that time or they can definitely end up in an affair. Yeah. Interesting um in terms of that like because i i have a theory in you know i don't i don't have any specific uh or or any uh you know qualifications to have this theory but whatever i I like theories (laughs) i feel like well and i hate generalizing but but what the fuck ever so i feel like men are the car buyers the the i'm changing jobs ish um but and i feel like the women are more I, I'm I'm not happy in this marriage and I, you know, and, and there just happens to be someone else there to sort of provide another path. And I, I don't know if there's any validity, validity to that. I like I feel like men don't cheat or start new relationships during a midlife crisis. They buy red sports cars. Right. But I feel like maybe women, at least again, anecdotally, and it's just I've seen it a lot. My ex was 39, I believe, when uh, her thing and all that things. And I hear that a lot. Like that seems like midlife crises for women are handled. Like women are going out and buying red sports cars for a midlife crisis, I don't think. Well, I don't know. I, I guess I but I have a big group of people that I work with. So I see males or females doing any of the paths. I would say. Hmm. I'd say it's pretty evenly split with guys okay. and girls, like both cheating, like around that time. I, Cause that's the, you got to think of it. So to the star cross, I found somebody, usually they find another married person, right? Yeah. They don't find a single person. True. That's the, that's the most interesting thing to me too, is like when you're, so what you're describing is something called an exit affair. And basically when that's when people are basically kind of done with a marriage, but they are, they are, finding somebody around that time because they're a little bit scared to be alone. So they want to meet somebody. Uh, But the midlife crisis affair that I'm talking about usually is two married people. It'll be one married person who struggled with their life and another married person that meet each other. And it's usually it's a male and a female and they don't end up leaving their spouses. They end up being with each other for a short period of time, but then realizing, Oh my God, what am I doing? And that's where that midlife crisis thing comes in is this idea that, I don't want to lose everything. I think I was just getting caught up with the idea that my life is half over and I don't know what's going on. Um, But you're, you're describing basically when people are done with a marriage, but they don't, I guess, have the guts to just end it. If that makes sense. No, it does. I I, I think again, uh, anecdotal and generalizing are not my favorite things to do, but 
Uh, they're a part of life. We I'm come a, from stories, right? I'm a human. <laughs> and I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna human right now. Um, <laughs> Do your peopling. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> from from what I see, that it's it's women are not happy, perhaps questioning things like like the the marriage you know the relationship the marriage they're in partially their life and and but i do think that they're sometimes i don't know if they look for it if it's i don't know what it is but someone seems to come along and gives them that sort of like you mentioned they don't want to be alone well here's a cushion to that yeah and it helps them exit the relationship because i I think it nailed it. They don't have the guts. And, you know, I say that because I'm a little bit bitter still about myself. Oh, you have your bitterness. That's fine. Like you could have just said, like, that's my problem with any affair is that if you really want to end the relationship, end it, you know, yes. like to say I'm done, let's make this, let's make this final. But most people don't do that. Most no, people. Because again, it's not, I don't sorry, I didn't mean to cut you You're off. I, I feel this is it, like a visceral, like, yes, because they, they don't have the guts. They don't. And so, they they then they have that little cushion and and and, and the grass is greener and all that kind of shit right well yeah. and, and so then it gives them permission to leap and and again anecdotally i see women doing this more but with that said uh, well i we have did, a theory about it though uh, right so i think it's easier it. to make a new relationship than it is to end an old one uh, yeah i think that's <laughs> very true yeah think about it right like because once you have in a relationship with somebody, like your whole lives are entwined and there's yes. all these different pieces to the relationship and you, you've got your friends, you've got your family, you've got your house, you've got your job. Like there's so many things that are entwined. So I think for some people, it's also just easier to make a new relationship and hope for a transition. Yeah. But I do want you to know that most people with affairs don't end up divorcing. Actually, I'm, more often they end up yeah. together. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, I was gonna, so I was going to ask that. So I actually... Okay. I wrote it down. It's on your list of like, oh, she's already well, on it. If, Damn if, it. <laughs> if you see me, if you see me pick up the notebook and scribble, it's 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 because something uh, hit me. And so I, I was gonna ask, do, do affairs lead to divorce typically? I would say only 20% do, and 80% end up staying together. Interesting. Yeah. How how ooh, how do you navigate? Because sometimes I, I think even still three years separated, still not divorced. Oh, Lord Jesus, please let that be soon. I think we're getting there. Negotiations are fun, but um, what the hell was my point? Uh, <laughs> so, how I think you were asking, how in the world would somebody come back from it? Yes, affair, okay, right? yes. Yeah. So, I, I sometimes imagine, am I am I really moved on? And so, I think, what if she knocked on the door? And I and there's this part of me going, I just don't think I could do that. And so, how how in the hell do people do that? How do they work through? Oh, ooh, uh, okay. So how do they do it? And which, which is the more likely to survive it? If the man cheats or the woman cheats? So that's two questions. I don't know which one you want, want to tackle. Oh, those, those are all good questions and I have answers for them. So um, I think it has to do with the difference between that exit affair and whether it's just one of those flings or romantic kind of like uh, even the love affair one that I mentioned. Right. So I, I think it's easier for people to forgive like a one night stand sure. or um, a fling. Yeah. Um, I think it even in the romantic love affair one, they are capable of doing it if if the the relationship benefits outweigh the costs. Mm. Right. So like. If it's an, let me, let me break that down. So like if it's an exit affair, somebody has already basically 
ended the relationship in their mind, their marriage, and they're still just going through the motions. Yeah. And then they meet somebody and then that gives them the, I guess, the will or the gusto, yeah. so to speak, to be like, all right, I'm I'm not just going to live in a dead marriage. I'm going to move on. Right. So in those situations, no, they always end up divorcing because they were already done before the affair occurred. They just didn't, like we said, have the guts to put it out there and say, I need to end this. Yeah. In the other marriages, though, there are situations where people like when they look at their lives, they say, no, like overall, my life is better with my partner than it is without. I think I was just bored. And that's where that like midlife crisis affair is a real thing where like sometimes males or females will just get bored. Like they're like. I actually have it on my intake paperwork. Are you feeling bored or restless in life? Because that is one of the prime indicators that an affair might be around the corner or have already taken place. Um, and so those couples where it's not that their partner did anything wrong or they did anything wrong, like in terms of like living life, it's that they went on a sort of autopilot with yeah. each other and stopped trying. And, and I think the kids have a role in this too. Oh, yeah. So like you're so busy doing the kid things, kid, kids, kids, job, job, job. In America, we are so like that as kids, jobs, yes. kids, jobs. That's all you can do. You yeah. can't have a life. <laughs> Other countries aren't like this, by the way. Yeah. Um, I, I and know. so at 40, people get bored and they're like, I, I just can't live my life like this. And so some people, a portion of people do have affairs and it gives them something. It gives them like a renewed sense of like, I, I don't want to live life like this anymore. But then they also look at their relationship and realize, no, this isn't a relationship I want to lose. I should have, like, it ends up being a huge mess because they really should have talked to their partner about it again, like had the guts to say, I want something different. I want something better. Yeah. But so they smash the marriage with the affair, but then they come back from it because usually both of them have been in that place for a while. And then what happens is there, it is a long process. I'll end up like a year or two years working with these couples on trying to improve and heal, but they just have to get into some very serious raw conversations yeah. about like, what do we want? What happened? Yeah. What were you missing? Sometimes it's related to sex. Sometimes it's related to life in general, our friendship. It can be a bunch of things, but they have to just have some deep, meaningful conversations where they start making a new plan for what life is going to be going forward. So in, in that uh, topic, which is more likely to survive if the man cheated or the woman cheated? And and I guess that's probably maybe is that hard to answer because it depends on what the, the type of cheating and why the cheating. But just a general. I would say yes to those things. And yeah. it can be either way, male or female. Like I've seen. Like I said, it has not it has less to do with gender than it has to do with uh, their emotional doneness in the relationship is what I would say. Interesting. OK, so uh, to, to, to bring this all sort of to, to uh, the topic that I, I'm very interested in, um, why do women cheat specifically? And I know, again, generalization, blah, blah, blah. But why, why do women cheat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd be surprised, right? So one of the reasons is opportunity, like the opportunity presented itself. And I, you know, I got to say that must happen for, I mean, women probably get, Chris Rock has a really funny joke. It's somewhat vulgar, but I, so I won't, probably won't say, well, I don't know. He's like pretty much every day women get off her dick. Like someone opens a door, like, would you, do you like some dick? Like, yeah. like it's, it's like they're bombarded with it. So I, I. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I'm not I'm not surprised that 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 is a factor because it's there. Yeah, uh, it's it's almost like uh, they're there. If, if a woman wants to get laid, period, it, she can. Right. I mean, 
Well, but we're a little more complex than that, right? Because we get offered oh, of dick pics all the time and we certainly don't take them, you know, right? Like, like, so yeah. it's not just any dick. It's the right, right dick at the right time. <laughs> and it's usually not a dick first, right? Like, it's usually <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, somebody it's been... who takes an interest in her and sure, sure. her, uh, but, like, I mean, how are you doing? <laughs> and we can say, I think unequivocally, like, guys, don't send dick pics. It's weird. Don't do it. Just don't do it. It's well, weird. I would say it's fine to do it with your partner. If she well, wants sure. To if someone it, asks like, for it. Yeah. Like, like a random woman. That's not a first, like, that's not a first date no. sort of like, hey, here's oh. my dick just in case you're interested. Like, no, we're not. <laughs> You can do that in a gay community. They'd love that. They'd be like, sure. show me your dick. I want to see all the dick <laughs> as many as possible. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't mean like, to get... see, this is the difference between males and females. If we want to yeah. talk about gender differences, like in the gay male population, there is a lot of like sex and there is a lot of dick pics because that's the way yeah. they flirt. In yeah. the female lesbian population, you, we don't send, they don't send vulva, <laughs> vulva pics. It's just not, it's not a thing. <laughs> uh, I didn't mean it to get into a dick pic rabbit hole. Sorry, guys. No, but, uh... I know. I love dick pics, though, so it's funny. But anyhow, going back, what's the original question? So we stay on topic. Like, yeah, why, why, why do women cheat? Why do women the first cheat? one so, was opportunity. Opportunity. The first reason is opportunity, but it's not just any opportunity. It's the right opportunity, right? So like, say she's in a vulnerable spot, like she's just struggling in life and he just asks her about herself. Like, so the opportunity could be the right guy asking her about herself as a person and that opening a door for her to be opened up. And she has to be like, this is the thing. So many women have certain boundaries that they won't even cross in a situation. So she has to be, I would say, in some type of vulnerable position where she's either been unhappy in the relationship for a while, or she's struggling in life. Like it could be that she's struggling with parenting or struggling with, am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? Any of those yeah. things. So like the vulnerability doesn't have to be in the relationship. It can be a personal vulnerability, but there's usually a vulnerability present plus opportunity. And mm -hmm. somebody just kind of knowing how to talk to a woman about her, because it isn't, like I said, it's not dick pic related. It's yeah. more personality related sure. and um, emotion related. Women tend to be more emotionally connected. Yeah. It, um, so one is opportunity. There are certain higher risk situations like jobs where you travel. So like having, I know that they're not good reasons, but like no. feeling like you won't get caught is a reason, right? Like I could probably do this and nothing will happen. Um, that's another reason. Um, yeah, because if you think about it, like, so nobody, this is the thing. So I can give you the, the skinny on the reasons that are not good. Because like in therapy, they'll give you like, Oh, it was this and this, but like right, when right. it boils down, it's not, it, there's no noble reason to cheat. It's yeah. usually shitty reasons. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it could be, well, I didn't think I would get caught. Um, another reason is I didn't care anymore. I didn't uh, care in the relationship. I'm so sure it didn't matter if it yeah, happened yeah. or it didn't. Yeah. Um, Which I think, I think that one's the shittiest of all in some ways, because it's like you've given up. And so you've given yourself permission when it's like, Maybe you could have said, hey, I'm not happy way before you gave up. But but then again, I I, I, I do try to see all sides. Maybe they did and it just wasn't received. I don't know. But, but what a shitty. You're, you, again, it goes back to the guts. It's like just end it then and then go do whatever the fuck you want. So mm -hmm. that one's that one bothers me, I think, more than than any of the others. I get opportunity and uh, all those kinds of things. But that one just. Yeah, that one's that one's too close to home. I get it. Yes. Well, and the fourth one, fourth one is just close proximity, right? So, like, 
Um, some of the common stories I'll have is maybe two parents were working together as soccer parents, like, and they uh, have to travel a lot together and spend a lot of time together at these different events. Yeah. So just proximity, they're working together really closely, or if it's at a job, for example, in their career, they're working very closely together, they're getting connected, just that proximity. And I know that's close to opportunity, but it's very right. specific to like, we're spending many hours alone with each other for a, a joint task and we feel a sense of purpose together. And so it's that like, and in, in, in spending time with that person, they feel like there's a lot of similarities and maybe there's personality things about this other person that are very different from the person that they were with that yeah. usually there's a type of triangle, by the way, for how people cheat or like why people cheat with certain people, for example. Hmm. So like usually at the apex of this triangle is the person who's cheated and we'll say females for this situation, but this is true for males or females. Believe it or not, there's so many similarities among the genders. But so on one side of the, the base of the triangle is the partner that is current. And this partner has a handful of good things and a handful of weaknesses, right? Mm -hmm. Usually the person on the other side of the triangle fills in some of the weaknesses of the person over here and has some strengths and weaknesses of their own, but their weaknesses are not things you have to live with. <laughs> so they can overlook Interesting. them. <laughs> Interesting. But the strengths they bring fill in the weaknesses of the person over here at the bottom of the triangle. Wow. I, I, I just, it, in my situation, that fits it to a fucking T. Yeah. And, and then that, I mean, it makes me angry and sad and all those things, but I mean, at the end, it's been three years. So the water's slowly making its way under the bridge, but yeah, there's a sadness to that because it's just like, if I would have known, I mean, it's so clear to me now, but now, you know, mm -hmm. and, and maybe, Maybe it's a good thing. You know what I mean? Like maybe I couldn't provide like my weaknesses are my weaknesses. And maybe yeah. I couldn't fulfill that void anymore because, um, you know, for, for uh, you know, her reasons or whatever. But that's just not, you know, it's not who I am. Those those weaknesses are mine. And I, I think we all have weaknesses. And so we all do. Maybe mine uh, were no longer tolerable or or no i think it's just that yeah someone else came along and provided the the void like maybe my weaknesses um to her were things that weren't acceptable or or not acceptable but like you know missing she was missing it or whatever or it was lacking and then someone else mm -hmm. came along and filled that void and and you're right and suddenly that that void gets filled and they don't have to worry about that person's weakness because they're not they don't live together they don't have children together they don't they, yeah, don't, they know, don't do life together no they fuck and they and they roll right <laughs> so there's well, no go back why a relationship ends or stays together right so you're correct all relationships every person has strengths and weaknesses every person across time me you the whole world okay yeah. so if in a relationship, somebody is closer to the end of their life cycle and they're just done, then it doesn't matter what strengths or weaknesses you bring. They're tired of that relationship dynamic. So there's yeah. not like a thing you can suddenly grow in or change that's going to change yeah. the fact that that person's done. In a, if we take it out of that and go into a situation where they, they do think that the relationship is worth keeping then they can actually, it, you can get a client. So I'm, I'm a therapist. So I'm thinking yeah. about this in terms of how sure. I talk to clients. Yeah. You, you, when I talk to clients about, do you see why the benefits outweigh the costs in this situation? They can logically understand that the other person will have new strengths and weaknesses they'll have to learn to get used to. Yeah. And that will have pros and cons, right? Like there will be some positives, but there will be some things that suck essentially because every person sucks a little. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
Yes. Everybody does. Yes. And so when a person is still in a relationship, they still can look at their partner and say, even though we had really good sex over here in this affair, the things that are the pros and cons, the package essentially that I have with my current partner is still worth fighting for. We just need to fill in some gaps, essentially. And so that's the decision that is made. But that's why it has more to do with how far along somebody is in the relationship towards done. Mm -hmm. um, because if they aren't done and really this was just an affair that kind of like broke broke their relationship for a time, then what the, the couple that stays together does is they look they you know, they they really look hard at those strengths and weaknesses and decide how are we going to find a new way to work together as a team that works for both of us. But it doesn't matter who you're with. Every person has a little bit of shit that you're going to deal with. So one thing I, why I did a premarital counseling book too, is I want people to think about these packages. Like when you marry a person, you are marrying them for all of it. And so you have to decide what are the weaknesses that I am comfortable with and that I'm like, okay, this kind I don't like these things, but these are things that I can live with. Yeah. And I think when people typically get married or find each other, they don't really think logically about the relationship because you just fall in love and yep. love has no logic. It's just feelings, right? Yep. But what you will find is interesting is after people do get divorced and find somebody new, they often will say to me that they knew exactly what they wanted at that point because they were in an older stage of their life. So once they find the person, you'll find people get together very quickly in the second relationship. Like they'll say that it moved very fast. And at first, when I heard this phenomenon, I was like, wow, you guys, that was fast six months and you guys were together or married or like living right. together. And I was like, well, they're, but they all say the same thing. You know, once you've been divorced, you have to spend time kind of figuring out who am I? What do I want? What do I not want? What can I live with in terms of those weaknesses? So once they find that package, they're ready to go. <laughs> right. Well, and, uh, okay. So this is a great topic because I, I see this a lot and I, again, men, women differences, I don't know, but it's probably the same, but I definitely see guys almost immediately. And I, I was guilty of myself sure wanting wanting to, to just date and just be validated by somebody else and so they find somebody yeah. and, oh my god she's amazing she's the greatest thing to slice bread and it's awesome and and they move way too fast and then they end up getting hurt because they they didn't take that time and so i think it's not i i i just want to caution and you could probably agree or, or maybe yeah yeah no i meant have remember to there that. was a time where they had to find themselves first <laughs> okay that's the that's that's the that's the key to all of it's that not a big deal <laughs> yeah it's a huge deal and, and i think uh, again men women i don't know i see a lot of guys they don't take that time it's just yeah. i am hurting and the only way to make me feel better is someone else to to make me feel which is yeah, you got to fill a hole. So of course you yes. look for a woman. <laughs> right. And, and that's a terror. Like that's no way to, it's just not, it's not a good, that's not a good recipe for success in relationships. If this, if you're needing your soothing and your validation to solely come from another person, yeah. a woman, it's, it's a recipe for, for repeating the past because I love that, you know, you're saying, you know, they, they knew, right. Because they took the, you know, took the time to understand ourselves and what, what can we deal with? What, what can't we deal with? What, and, and, and knowing, you know, this is my love language. This is my attachment style. This is when I get anxious uh, in a relationship mm -hmm. and, and being able to, to, to talk about that and say, um, Hey, when you didn't text for four hours, like kind of freaked me out a little bit instead of just getting mad and, and, and you're hurt and you're, and you don't talk about it. So, but if you learn these tendencies, you can have these conversations. And I think you can absolutely have 
a, a good relationship in your future. But man, if you don't take that time, yeah. you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, you know, how- let me, I think this could be a fun segue into kind of what some of the typical things are people do after divorce, if you're open to oh, it. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like I, there's this phase called the slutted up phase that I oh, love yeah. to talk about. I don't know if it's out there in the world, but I would like to coin that myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm guilty of that. I, I, mean, I don't want you to feel guilty though. Like, no, like that is a fun phase that everybody does after divorce where you just want to fuck around. You want to see what's out there. I think people have been together with one person for a long time. So you also just kind of want to have some variety. So I, I, I encourage enthusiastically the slutted up phase with some boundaries. Sure. Um, and all the boundaries are is just be really honest with people about where you're at. Cause usually that's also a rebounding phase, yes. right? So people aren't, some people are open to fucking around and some people aren't. And yeah. so it's really important to let people know, yeah, like I'm just out of a divorce. I'm, yeah. I'm wanting to have fun and I'm wanting to find myself again, but I'm definitely not ready to commit to anything. And in the end, as long as you're honest about that, it is still the other person's decision to decide what they, whether they will engage or not. Um, but I found at least in my area, so I'm in St. Louis, a lot of people say that and it's, it is fine. It is a very common thing for males and females to want to do right after divorce. And it's very welcome here, at least. I don't know. We call it the, uh, some other people say it's like being a teenager again or in high school again, but I've heard that a lot too. So I think it's perfectly fine to do a sledded up phase. Um, I think sometimes people will have a rebound relationship somewhere in there, but I think it's very important to keep in mind that you may have a rebound relationship before you have a real one, which is where, I don't know, they could be like one or two months where you, you know, you're slutting it up and you kind of feel close to somebody. So that's not um, abnormal. Um, But like, just be very thoughtful of who you are and where you're at, because one of the dynamics people go through is this sense of, I want to feel close and feel that old warmth again of what a relationship's like, but I also am scared to death to be back in the same space and make the same mistakes. So that like dichotomy, you can just give a space for both of those, like, instead of like, no, I don't want to, I'm fighting this. I got to get into the relationship. I think what happens for those people who rush in before they're ready is they're just, they, they can't kind of hold space for those two opposing feelings, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Of like, I'm not ready to commit, but I also want to feel close and connected. I'm not ready to commit. And so holding a space just looks like acknowledging both and not rushing yourself. But I think for men, in this way that you're describing them, they feel that sense of, I just want to feel close again. I just want yes. to have sex. I just need a person. And so yes. instead of just kind of like, okay, be mindful, be aware that these are here, take it easy, take your time, still be on the exploration of who am I, yeah. they just rush in and try to fix that feeling. Yes. Yeah. They plug and play that, you know, oh, I just, yeah. you know, and it, it point fingers and oh, it was just, it was her fault and it was her. And if I just find another one and, and, and I think the reason I caution against mm-hmm. even casual dating i mean uh, you do it you know guys do whatever you want it's just uh, <laughs> they're gonna do whatever they want <laughs> yeah that's I, I, you I, can I, caution but they're that, gonna fuck around <laughs> that is true um uh, gosh if if i could if i had the magic formula like formula to get them to listen to me but but i i i the danger is i think is especially for men because it's not it's it's that void it's that emotional piece that they they don't know how to self-soothe they don't know how to 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 feel good about who they are in uh, when they're going through these emotional things they think they're a bit i'm a crying i'm a bitch i'm I'm weak i'm a pussy and so that that salve that that uh, ointment whatever you want to call it being another person it's it's very dangerous because then they fall back into another relationship and then they they didn't work out their shit 
and it and it falls and it fails and then then they're crushed even more because again their validation is taken away twice now they haven't even healed from the fucking first one and i just it 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 frustrates me to no end i and and i get it we're 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 men and and you know we we're we're still struggling i think all of us men with dealing with emotions and feelings and yeah that's what it made me think you know as you were talking i was like oh wow men aren't equipped to handle grief you know like the way you're describing that is that well and you aren't equipped to handle emotions right like Mm -hmm. when men have been raised they've been allowed to feel anger and calm like those are the allowed emotions and as a pro that's a real problem because grief is is. a big conglomeration of anxiety depression despair yes anger sadness happy sometimes acceptance there's this weird one where it's like you're kind of shock and denial like it's not really happening i'm fine you know like but all of them are normal parts of the grieving process yes yes but i think you i think you 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 cut off that process if you immediately replace her with somebody else like you don't you don't go through it you 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 short circuit it and and i think that's to to people's to men's detriment and then again if it compounds because you it happens again and you, yeah. you didn't even heal and do the you didn't go through the grief cycles the first time. And so it's just I caution against it so much. But yeah, nobody, nobody I shouldn't say nobody listens. Some there's there's a few, and I love all of you that do listen. You're a, a wonderful people. Uh, <laughs> the ones that don't, I like to fucking strangle. <laughs> Why would you listen to me? Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. No, but like to to your point, like how how do you know when when you really are ready to meet ah, somebody else, right? That is the question. And I don't know the answer. And I wish there was like a, cause I, I had another sex therapist and she's like, well, it's not a cookie cutter answer. Bullshit. There's, I have a bullshit. There's... I think that's, I've, I always have an answer for something, but I'm going to look up something that actually, can you, do you mind? Yeah, no, take, quick, take, yeah, I just wrote in. a topic about this there has to be at the at a minimum there has to be indicators like <laughs> if you're this if you're this is that the trouble with me as a sex therapist i always have to look up my release uh my uh recent like talks or research because i don't want to just say stuff i want you to know exactly what you need to get there i love so, data <laughs> and facts and and information okay all right i've got it are you ready to start yeah, this is how ready. you know you're ready to date again so brains that feel safe and worthy are ready for relationships. And so let's talk, let's break that down. And actually I got this, yeah. I was, I was putting together, was putting together a talk for like how to help children's mental health actually. And I oh. found this really cool video and it was saying brains that feel safe and worthy are able to be happy. Mm. And so those are the two components that you need. So let's talk about safe first. Sure. Safe means safe in your skin that you feel you like, I want you to think about like security in terms of whether I have a person or not, like I'm going to be okay. That's a sense yes. of safety and security. You feel like, no, I'm not saying you have to have your life completely together because sure. nobody does ever, right? Sure. Like there's always a part of transition, but safe means I feel safe in my skin. I feel like I know who I am as a person and I feel comfortable in who I am. That's that sense of security. And, and the safety looks like you know, if I was single for a while, I'll still be fine. You know, like I could be single for the next 10 years and I'll be okay in my skin. Or if I find someone cool, that's that sense of security of secure attachment you were talking about. So that's one piece. The second piece worthy. This one Mm. is the most important one for everybody. And again, like, so even as I say it, I know that people will struggle with their self-worth till the day they die. There are some people that will always be working on this. But what I'm talking about is a sense of, 
I'm worthy of love and I am worthy of value and support and connection. And they're living their lives as they are, as though they are worthy. And so what that may mean is they're involved in a community again, and they are doing things for themselves or they are taking, they're doing hobbies that maybe they wanted to do. Usually what I'll, I'll have clients to do when they're in this divorce space is I start having them ask, um, what are the things you said no to yourself as a result of this marriage? Mm. What are the things that you were like, oh, it would be nice to do this, or this would be important to me, but I can't do it because they won't let me, or this wouldn't work here, or because it just doesn't work in the situation. Yeah. And essentially I have clients come up with this list of like, what are, who are you? Like, what are the things that were important to you that you missed yeah. out on because you were trying to like, <laughs> this is my visual of finagling in a marriage. <laughs> it's, if you, if you can tell what it is, it's actually the balloon guy. Oh yeah. That's it's a hard person to be that balloon guy in For a relationship. Sure. And what you want to be is kind of a sturdy rock, like that you can, you know who you are, you know what you want, you feel grounded in who that person is, and you feel worthy of yourself as a rock or a tree or whatever you want to call yourself. But like, I am a worthwhile person, I'm a worthy human being. And one way to practice getting into a space for that is gratitude and self compassion. Mm. So when you were using the inner dialogue of those males of like, oh, I'm an idiot, what, I'm such a pussy or what yes. those that is like a very self abusive. Yes. Dialogue. Yeah, that sure. is completely unworthy. Right. And so when you're in an unworthy space, mm. then you will not you will not attract probably the best people around you. You will attract whoever fills the void. <laughs> yeah. And I think your standards are are, are low, too, because you, yes. you, you'll take any you need to fill anything. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you'll take any scrap or crumb you can get. And that's again, if if mm -hmm. if you are worthy, if you feel worthy, then you you won't accept less than what is your ideal mate. Right. And at first you got to, you got to know what that is. And that, that can be a, a difficult journey as well. But if, if you're not feeling worthy, then you're not going to take something you're worthy of. You're going to take it something below you. And then again, we're going to go through the same fucking cycle of, Oh, it's a shitty relationship. She's a narcissist or whatever. She cheated. It's exactly. like, you'll repeat the same cycles. So yes. the two things I want you to think about gratitude and self-compassion. So self-compassion means when you feel all of those feelings of grief, you're not saying you're an asshole, you're an idiot. Why would you feel it? You say, of course you're feeling that this is a hard time. It's okay for you to go through that. So it's very self-compassionate. Think Self-compassion is essentially what you would say to a friend who is going through a rough time, but you start saying it to yourself inside your own brain. So when you feel angry, of course you're angry. I mean, she hurt your feelings. Like she, that was really shitty what happened. And it's okay for you to be angry for a while. The it's okay. That's the phrase. It's okay to feel this way. It's okay to go through this. Take as long as you need. That's another phrase, right? Like, so people feel like I should be over this by now. It's like, no, take as long as you need to get there. So one way to reach worthiness or a feeling of worthiness is to meet yourself with a hell of a lot of self-compassion every time you feel your feelings and just allow them to come and go. Um, and the second piece is practicing gratitude, which looks like these are the things that are still going well. These are the things I appreciate. You know what? This sucks. And here's what I can see that I'm still, I'm still proud of, or look what I've done here, you know, like, and it's just giving yourself permission to appreciate the cool things about your life and yourself yeah. and the combination of the two is what creates worthiness yeah. and then the combination of feeling worthy and safe is when people are ready to have more secure relationships but i also want to like 
I don't want to, I don't want people to feel like they have to arrive somehow. Like, I think some of this stuff you develop in relationships too. Like yeah, that's that, totally a thing that can happen as well. That one scares me. It just in terms of, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you're wrong. I don't know that you're wrong. You're, you're probably right. I think if you have the right person, I think you can, you, you should uh, grow together um, in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, separate, but together, not, not in mesh, because I think that's dangerous. Um you, sure. know, you, need, you need to you need to stay together but separate kind of a thing like like have you your own independence sure yeah your own hobbies your own things you can't you know your own friends you know your own life but 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 still share with someone but i guess i i always worry that guys hear things like and i'm not you again i'm not like this isn't like you're wrong how dare you it's <laughs> i always worry about guys going oh oh see see i can do it in a relationship it's like oh you can but i mean I think you have to get to a certain level so you can even find someone that you can do those things with because not everyone is going to be willing to work with you on things or talk with you about things or grow with you together. Like, Oh, I'm feeling very anxious right now. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, is there, is there anything I could do? Shitty people aren't going to do that. Right. They're not going to be like, Oh, I'm sorry. You're anxious. What, how can I help you with that? Or whatever. Right. That's something yeah. that's, if you're going to grow with someone, that's some, that's the kind of person you want to be at a certain level before you can even find someone that, that would be willing to do those types of things with you. And so I just, I, I don't know why I'm so paranoid about it, I guess, because I see so many hurt men and I, and I, it's an echo chamber and it's a, you know, it's a, you know, it's its own little ecosystem in there and it's, it's, there's 6,500 men and, and I see so much pain and mm -hmm. it just, it breaks my heart and I want them to not, I don't want anyone to hurt, you know? And I, I just, I want to make sure that they can stand up on their own before they start. Mm -hmm. And and I worry things like, like that. And I, again, I don't think you're wrong, but I worry things like that. Guys would go, Oh, okay. Well then see, I can, I just get another relationship and, and I'll figure it out in the relationship. It's like, no. Well, I will say it's possible because the reality is I don't know that anybody ever arrives. Yeah, right. That's a good, that's a good if, point. If there's this idea that like, I have to arrive at some point before I can try then you could literally, you you would have a moving target, right? Like, oh, well, I haven't true. arrived enough here. I haven't arrived right. here, right? Very true. So no, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not saying don't do personal work, but I do think those, those skills of self-compassion and gratitude are things that if you are cultivating, then you can still use them in a relationship to improve upon yourself. And I can use myself as an example. Mm. So I divorced four years ago now. Okay. Um, and I am in a new relationship. It'll be three plus years, but a four, it won't be, we're at three plus. So like I met him about a year-ish after our, okay. um, uh, the, the divorce. Okay. But anyhow, um, I, I don't think I was fully arrived when I met him. I think that there were still things that I was working on. Like I still had old triggers from my relationship, but there is, I will say there are some differences, right? So like sure. I, I have very high personal responsibility. I don't necessarily like, I'm not the kind that's like, well, as a therapist, my job is to always teach people, well, what are, what's your role? What's your role? Right. So I would say I had maybe very, very high self-responsibility to the point that that was an area of growth for me where I had to be like, okay, yeah, Angela, these right. are some of the things you did, but what are some of the things that you guys as a team did so yeah. that I didn't just like completely blame myself for the sure. whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Of yep. course, as a marriage therapist, then there's an added component of like, oh, I'm man. a marriage therapist who divorced. What the fuck? Right? Did you, did you, ooh, I want to dive into that. Did you have any shame? I'm sure you did, right? Of course. Yeah, I had shame. I, what, the, what's interesting is I wanted to divorce multiple times in the marriage, but because 
he wanted to work on it. I was like, all right, we're working on it. You know, yeah. like, cause I had a high, I have a very high personal responsibility. You get in, you dig in, you do the best that you can. Yeah. But for many years I wanted to divorce mm. and it wasn't until he wanted a divorce too, that I was uh, able to do it. I would never have done it. Like I would have died yeah. trying to work on a relationship that was terrible for me. Yeah. Because right, so, of my value system. And that's something I want everybody here listening to know. Like your your strengths can also be a weakness in certain circumstances. Sure. So I have a great strength for personal responsibility and compassion. But those things were bad things for me in that old relationship because it wasn't a two-way relationship. Yeah. So my high sense of like, you got to own your shit and you did, yeah. here's what you did wrong. How do you fix this? How do you yeah. change this? And like self-blame, like yep. so compassion can also look like, I have so much compassion for you that I don't look at me in a situation. So anyhow, I would say um, I still had a lot of growth to do when I met my person. And actually, he taught me things like, Angela, it's okay for you to be mad at this or it's okay Mm -hmm. for you to set a boundary with him. Because I had to learn to like set boundaries with my ex as we were going forward. We share a kid. And I would just be like, oh, you know, I would get in these anxiety tizzies around it. But I wasn't I wasn't whole. I wasn't whole when I met my partner. I was in progress. But I will say to your point, he was definitely a partner who could serve me well through that growth. And I think I was a good partner to serve him well through his growth because he wasn't perfect either. You know, (laughs) he was post divorce as well and figuring out his old things. Yeah. So going back to this idea that like you can do it in the relationship, you do have to have a sense of, I know I'm not where I need to be. And there are some things I will need to learn. Um, But like meeting yourself with that self-compassion of like, it's okay to learn this. Just talk to your partner about it. See how they respond. Treat them as a new person, not the old person. And recognize that's something we both talked about that we had to work on is this idea that like, there would be moments where we want, we kind of went into old patterns where yep. we would have treated them the way yep. we would have treated our old relationships. And we had to stop and be like, no, this is a new person. Give them a chance. Yeah. And that was a part of my work in this new relationship. Right. And I think it, it speaks to the, 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 the work of knowing yourself. So, so you have yeah. to something to talk to, you know, you can say to him, Hey, you know, you know, maybe I don't, I'm not, or, or vice versa. Like, you, you know, you need to work on boundaries there. I think like to be able to, it's just communication always fucking comes down to communication, but, but if you don't, communication. yes. If, but if you don't know what to communicate, then, then you never will. Right. And so it's, I think as long as you're, again, I think you said self-aware um, that, that that's the most important thing. If you can say, Hey, I'm, I'm working on things and I'm, I'm a very anxious attachment style and this is how I deal with it. And, and they mm-hmm. say, okay, well, you know, let's, let's see how we can work with that. And like, I'm, I'm more secure. And so maybe, I, you know, it's all about communication and conversation, but if you don't do that, any of that work, you're never going to going to know anyway, but I want to go back to, to the shame okay. piece that you, how did you deal with the shame of because I imagine that you said there was, and how could there not be? And like, how did you, because that shame such a huge part of divorce, I think. And, and I think yours is, I don't want to say compounded, but it's, it's more. Well, it felt uh, compounded. Well, yeah, may, maybe that's the right word. Um, because, because that's you are, word. Yeah, because you're, you're a marriage therapist. And so, so how did you deal with that? How do you, how did you address your shame? I reached out to people to get support. So this is going back to community. I think people need community. So I spoke with other therapists who had gotten divorced and talked to them about how did they move past it. There was this uh, other male therapist that I spoke to who said, 
I know where you're at right now, Angela, and this is a tough time, but he said, I actually look fondly back at the way that I helped clients during my divorce because I had what's interesting. And I actually feel the same way. Like I felt so raw and my emotions that I could say things in such a way that they just like, they touched people. Like it was cause like I was so raw. I remember doing a speech during this time mm-hmm. and like the, the talk that I gave was like just so deeply emotional and vulnerable. And I got so many positive feedback, like so much from it because like yeah. when you are, when you're in touch with that vulnerability and you're supporting it with compassion and kindness, there's some deep value value in that space. So one of the things I did was getting community, talking to people. I had, I knew I needed to just reach out to lots of friends. So I had friends telling me like, and they had to like almost drag me a little bit too of like, Angela, you didn't do this all. It's not your fault. Marriage is a two way street. And because they had seen what had happened that I'd taken on all this blame for all these things throughout the entire marriage. And they're like, Angela, you put in a hundred percent of the work and you were not met with a partner who was doing the same. And so, it, but it, it took a while. Like I had, sure. I had to just give myself time to really believe that. And the self-compassion looks like it's going to take some time, Angela. It's okay that you're struggling. It's okay yeah. to cry. It, yeah. And like, I would cry for long periods of time. I would, I remember I was so nervous about seeing couples like in like being in that divorce space. But the interesting thing is that a lot of couples who are in that space of should I stay or should I go over time, like I wouldn't tell everybody it, but if it, if it was relevant to the person at the time, Mm. then I might divulge that I'm going through a divorce to Mm. a client and, and it became a sharing moment or a space of like, yeah, well, I'm struggling with this. How did you make that decision? And you know, like, I feel like since then now time has passed, I, I have this leg up a little bit because yeah. I've both been in a marriage and tried really hard to keep it. And I've crossed the threshold and divorced and I can t- speak to both sides. Yeah. Whereas somebody who stays can't yeah. speak to the other side. Right. Definitely not. Yeah. I, I think that's it, it. You talk about community. And I think that's one of the important parts about being involved with a divorce support community is because yeah. if you haven't been through it, you don't, you don't have a fucking clue. You just don't know. You don't know. And, and, and when, and so if you surround your people that have, Mm -hmm. it's so, it's so much easier to get support and compassion and and understanding and sympathy because like they, they, they either are there with you or they've been there. Yeah. It's just, I think it it validates, I think validation of feelings is incredibly important and it, it, that's what it does. It's like, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Like I, I also, struggled yeah. i also felt weak i also felt like a failure i also you know all these things and it suddenly it's you go oh shit i'm i'm not alone i'm not there's nothing wrong with me in in that kind of a context like i'm i'm feeling these things and other people are too so i want to add something here too like so two communities or one extra community that i think was valuable to me was meeting having single friends mm. like because you're divorced right and so if you're married you have all these married people friends and i remember i struggled with like they struggled with who do we choose and we tried to say you don't have to choose but yeah. people always fucking choose they, they can't do. they are who they are yep so like, and also I didn't want to be around married people because it yeah. was a physical reminder of my marriage yeah. has failed. My marriage has failed. So I sought a lot of refuge with single friends, like just other single people who were doing it. Because I also like when you move from marriage to divorce, 
there's this world of what what do you do with your life? What do you yes. do with this free time? Oh, so amen. meeting other single people, I actually have a lot of single girlfriends um, that I've kept since elementary school. So I just hung out with them more and I even picked up new single girlfriends. But it was like, how are you living your life? How are you doing this? What do you do with your days? You know, yeah. like that helped. And like yeah. the thing that I wanted to draw this back to for the difference between men and women mm. is a lot of times men don't have communities. Like men don't have friends. I've noticed yes. that like your friend is your partner. Yes. And this is just another gap in the male yeah. community where you yeah. like, so with that being said, I want to teach a few guys, like here's how you can meet a community. One is look at your local meetup groups. There are meetup groups in your city where you can meet like singles or like, it doesn't have to be a singles group. It could be as simple as, a cave, like a spelunking group or a right. hiking group. So yep. find a hobby yep. that is social, that yep. forces you out of your house, essentially. And it, and if you want to be around women, pick cooking, singing, dancing. <laughs> <Those are things. laughs> That women love to do karaoke, dance classes, go yeah. to, there's a social tango and salsa class out here. And there are a lot of single men that come to it. And it's just a casual way to connect with people around, but usually there's more women than men. So if there's a man, then he's going to dance with like five or six girls because they need a partner yeah. and uh, they always me, switch. One moment I'm looking up single uh, dance classes. That's a great <laughs> well, and it's not single dance classes. It's just dance classes like salsa, tango, and th these are their social dance classes where they make okay. you switch partners. The whole oh, okay. Time. That's why salsa and tango yes. are your, and bachata. Those are magical dance classes where you will meet lots of single women. Um, but even so, like I, that is one of the communities that really helped me was being yeah. around single people so that I'm like, oh, okay, this is what you can do. Yeah. And then a third thing is like going back to that list of like, what are the things I would have done that I didn't? I forced myself to do a lot of things. Like, yeah. I'm going to take risks. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to do events. I'm going to do this yep. thing because they're all things that I loved, but I wouldn't do because I was a mom or I was yeah. a wife or I had this or that to do. But all, suddenly we were split custody. So I had these free nights. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I think that's a gap for some of these guys too. Is like, what oh, do yeah. I do with my free nights? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm trying to, to what you described is, is, is what I'm trying to do is, is build a, a network for divorced men. And I'm trying to create you know, in, within the larger group and trying to create subgroups where guys can get together and, and and not just do events, although I think that's an important part of it, but actually sit down and talking about what they're going through and their feelings and, you know, yeah. geez, cry a little bit. It's okay. But um, now that, I, so I didn't know that you had been through a divorce and, and by the way, thanks for being candid and honest. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, absolutely. How, and, and you don't have to talk too, too specifically about this and we don't have to talk too much about it, but I just, I always get curious because um, I have children, I have two yeah. daughters and that was one of the worst, part, is the worst part. Not, 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 no question. Um, seeing their pain and their confusion and their up, upheaval and uprooting and all these things that how, as a therapist, um, how did you deal with it, with that, with your children? How did you, like, I don't know ages and stuff or what you want to talk about in specifics, yeah. but how did you deal with it, uh, to, to, to insulate them as best you can? Yeah. Well, so it's insulate them or is it, how did I emotionally deal with it or both? Oh man. <laughs> Cause I have answers for both of them. Let's do both then. Let's dive okay. in. So the first year we, we did split custody and, um, I remember like, so the, she was three by the okay. way, so she was very young I, and I only have one kid, Olivia. She's adorable. She's seven now. So oh. that's the years, right? Four. Okay. I would say, it was really helpful that she was young 
because when and this is actually I'm so I when I talk then I want to tell people research too so yeah. I will go in and out of that for anybody who's struggling with the idea of should I divorce or should I not it is easier for children the younger they are as they get older it becomes harder because they're more emotionally aware of the situation right um, but it is harder for you as a parent so this is why I'm getting across right yeah. so it's it is better for children the younger because then it just becomes their normal. Like I said, mom's house and dad's house, this is what it's like. But it is harder for you as a parent. So it is the worst yeah. for parents when they're young because there is like so much she needed. So I'd say yeah. like it. she was very resilient. She did perfectly fine. Um, things I did to help insulate her were when I, well, first, the first six months I actually lived with my sister and my sister and her and me are already close. So it was like a little vacation at, at my sister's house. It was fun. And she stayed and the dad stayed at our old house. So like I was with my sister and he was at our old house. So she had, we tried to keep her things normal and secure, but it was like, all right, we're having fun with aunt Pam. And then, all right, you're back at home with your dad. So we try to keep things as consistent as possible. Okay. Then when I moved into an apartment first, I got, when I first got the apartment, it was empty. And so I took her there and I said, all right, let's, I want to show you where we're going to live. And I, it was an empty apartment. She's running around this way and that. And I said, how do you want it to look? You know, like, what should we do? And so I incorporated her in the creating of this apartment because it was going to be our first girl's apartment. And oh my gosh, we went all out. This was the pinkest apartment you would ever have seen. And I, I enjoyed it too, because yeah. I, I remember yep. the first time I went to Walmart when like, like the day after we decided to get separated, like I went to Walmart and I was separated. I was with my, I was living with my sister and I'm walking around the Walmart and my mind is like in this days, this is the yeah. face. Like, <laughs> that's the face. And yeah. I remember an associate comes up to me and he's like, um, can I help you? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> but what this face is and what it represents is, what am I going to buy that's just for me? Because yeah. I had never yeah. in like years yeah. Yeah. bought something just for me at the grocery store. And I was like, I don't know what to purchase. Because <laughs> <laughs> my daughter wasn't with me at the time. We, we had decided he was going to keep her first for the first day or two. Yeah. And then I was going to get her later that week. So I literally was only buying for myself. And I just yeah. like, I grabbed like shrimp cocktail and some like, Veg. I basically grabbed appetizers. I didn't know what to eat. It was the weirdest thing. But I, I like shrimp cocktail and I like vegetables with ranch. I was like, I think I'm going to get these things. That's for you. Oh, and I got raspberries because that's my favorite fruit. But that's like, that's what I got. Uh, <laughs> so I, I left and I was like, I just bought for myself. It's amazing. Well, I think that's I an important that part thing. of it. You know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> you, you like, what do I want? It's a good question, right? To ask yourself during that time. Right. That's what I that go into that list. What did you yeah. say no to yourself that you yeah. should have said yes to? So yeah. yes. Oh my gosh. But so anyhow, I when I brought her to the apartment, I had her run around. I had her help me make a decision about what it looked like. We made it very, very pink. Um, we also had this cool little porch area. So we got a little tea set so that we could do oh, outside little tea parties, little tea <laughs> parties out on our little porch. And we just made it fun. Um, so like, that's how I incorporated her and I helped her, like I helped, had her kind of decide where she wanted her thing. So she felt a sense of autonomy as right. children where they can feel in control yeah. and they can have uh, as limited change as possible is good for them. 
right? And less to remember, uh, you know, like where you can have two of things as opposed to trying to take cart things back and forth. Yes. It's like, oh, let's have things at my house. Let's have things at your house. Yeah. So you just feel as secure as possible. The other thing I did to um, kind of insulate her is we would we would give her a calendar. So she knew exactly who she was with when, mm. like even at three and four, I was like, okay, remember you're with Monday, Tuesday, you're with mommy, uh, yep. Wednesday, Thursday, you're with daddy every other weekend, That's you're with me or them. And yep. she'd ask what, what day, who's picking me up today? And I'd say, I'm picking you up today. And every day we would have that conversation. We still to this day have that conversation. She's like, who's picking me up at the bus stop, mom? I'm like, it's me. I'm going to pick you up at the bus stop. But so it's letting them know what to expect because what children need is routine and security. That's the other thing we did was routines, as many routines as possible. Yeah. Um, like that we could could we that we could keep in each household. Um, now I won't say that that happens for everybody because there is still like my house and your house. So there are certain sure. routines that they do that are completely different than mine, and that's fine. Yep. Like so the other thing that we did is we facilitated each other's household. So if there was something different happening in it happening in his household, I might say, well, what happens at dad's house is dad's rules. That's okay. And he would yeah. say the same for me. Like, all right, well, that's mom's house, mom's rules. Yeah. So like, it could be different. Don't get me wrong. Cause they were, sure. but um, those were some of the things we did. And then when she'd first come to the house, just reminding her of the expectations and how things are in our house helped with the transition. Yeah. Um, so those are those things, how I personally handled it was, uh Kate I would say rocky and chaotic at first sure. um like for the we decided we would split Thanksgiving and Christmas so like I'd get Thanksgiving the first year he'd get Christmas the first year and then we'd flip yeah. but like I had never spent a Christmas without my child mm -hmm. and so I was so heartbroken by that yeah. that I flew to Malaysia oh. <laughs> I just okay myself I was like I need to be halfway across the world I can't do this yeah. and so I'll say I used escapism at, <laughs> at times or a lot sure. and so like yeah I was in, in Malaysia for Christmas because I was like I got I saw some sort of like uh, Black Monday or Cyber Monday deal where I could do like a group tour uh, which that's another place to meet women all women do group travel men seem to not but there are a lot of single women on group travel tours so you yeah. know i was one of them <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> because women are more likely to seek support and community and men yes. are not very so, true did you i mean yeah. be, because you're a therapist you probably didn't um but maybe you did did you put her in therapy to to help facilitate or because you're one she you was kinda... so young i don't we did not do therapy i'm still open to it if she needs it now but like really it feels like she doesn't say anything about she doesn't seem to be very distressed about the divorce or us living separately i will say there are questions now about were you married to dad? Like, I think she's developing more of a cognitive awareness of what divorce means. Yeah. But because she was so young, it really has become her normal that like, I just have a mom's house and a dad's house. She doesn't even remember the time that we lived together, mm. which is why going back to that, like the graph, it's like yeah. the younger they are, the better for them for the divorce. That doesn't mean they won't have ways that they learn about it or have to explore it over time. But in yeah. terms of it feeling like, I miss my mom or I want my parents to get back together. She was so young. Like she doesn't even know what that meant. You know what is I mean? There, yeah. Is there a cut? I'm sure it's different for everyone, but is there a cutoff age where it does, where, like you said, you know, the younger, the better, but is it, is there an age where it's like, it's going to be more impactful, like five, seven, 10, like what's the. 
Yeah. So the younger, like under 10, 10 is a pivotal year for all children. That's where they have like a certain cognitive awareness that they can really, they really kind of get great. You can see it in like how they talk about death at 10 and like how they talk about things like life circumstances. Like if there's a school shooting, you talk to a 10 year old, you can see cognitively that they have a certain awareness that like under that age, there's still some kind of like, I don't understand, you know, there's, there's ways you can shield them a little bit under that 10 year old year, but at 10 and beyond, it becomes harder. I would not say though, that 10 is the hardest year. It's actually in their teens that it's the hardest, the middle school to teens years that it's hardest for children and even adulthood, which is so strange because some people stay until their kids turn 18. But what I've heard from adult children who like, you know, like the eight, adult children, I mean, like 18, 19, 20, sure. I still consider them kids. Oh, yeah. I know they don't think they are, but I think oh, they are. <laughs> they are. Yeah, they are. I mean, I'm almost 40 now. It's so like they're babies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, but like those, those ages, they really struggle with it because they have all the cognitive awareness and they also watched it the whole time. So depending on how the parents tried to like live or pretend yeah. or hide or, or were very outward about it, they lived through all whatever that chaos was. So for the ones that were really chaotic, a lot of times there's relief in those older ages of 19 and 20. Like, thank God they finally divorced. Yeah, we knew that was coming. Uh, But if it was hidden, mm -hmm. then it's like it blows their minds and it makes them question reality because their parents like lived as though everything was fine for years when it wasn't. And so then in your 20s, you're old enough to really like grasp that. And those 20s year olds, struggle with getting married struggle with the idea of marriage for a long time i believe that yeah and you could see why right because it's like you lied to me yes yeah i i mean i think there's that uh i would i would guess there would be some adversion hesitancy fear around marriage if you're a child of divorce regard i mean i guess if you're super super young but even that still i think because eventually i think you did you do get to the awareness that like you I'm not a, I'm not a whole family. I'm, you know, it's different, right. Or whatever, whatever the dynamic becomes, you know, stepdad Mm -hmm. to mom, whatever. uh, I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that it, it, it's confusing and, and, and dare I say damaging regardless. Right. I think there is a certain degree of damage um, that it sometimes it just breaks my heart when I think about my, my oldest was 10 uh, and my youngest was uh, I don't like saying this shit out loud because it makes me angry. She she filed on my youngest daughter's fifth birthday, so there's that. Put that out there in the world. Um, and so it 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 was definitely harder in the moment on my ten year old for sure. Of course, because your ten year old has the awareness to know yep. what's happening. The four slash five year old, she was just confused, and but I still I and maybe this is. A, me looking for things because it wasn't my idea because i think it's wrong and all those things well at this point i'm i'm definitely into the acceptance stage but i feel like i see a, a just a certain level of a, a, just an undercurrent of sadness in, in my now eight-year-old i just and, and maybe i'm wrong but 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 she will she'll bring it up and talk about it here and there you know when mommy mm-hmm. when you and mommy before you and mommy were divorced or you know you know a school project where she has to do a collage and she's like, well, I'm going to do a mommy side and a daddy side. And I just get this sense is underlying sadness. But again, I, I could be, I could be wrong, but I think that the moral of the story is it's just, it's bad for, it's just, it's hard for everybody, but children included. And I think 
you know, thankfully you're, you're a therapist and you, you probably knew how to handle it in certain ways. But I think for, for almost all children, I recommend, you know, get, get it, get in, get them into therapy because absolutely because I think, especially you're, you're trying to process your shit and you don't have any, you don't have a clue. Like you're, you, you know, how you can't, you, you could barely help yourself. Like, I know for me, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. And I'm like, how am I going to, I had a parent. Like, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. It's, I it's, talk to your mother, like, which, which is something you probably should say. Well, but. I'd like to add something to that. Like, I have a, I remember a story like that from my, during that first year, she, I can't remember if she was, she's probably in preschool, but they asked her to draw a picture of her mm-hmm. family. And that was that first year that we were getting a divorce. And she, we were supposed to put, give pictures of our family, send them in. And I remember crying to my sister about that. Like, we're not a family anymore. I don't even know what to send. And I said, I'm not a family. And I remember we do these Marco Polos. Like we do these these long, like monologues. And my sister, she was like, Angela, you are a fan. Like you, you and Olivia are a family. And actually we're a family. Like you have many people. This is why community is so valuable during this time. So like, but that wasn't her, like she didn't come to me crying. That was my experience with the idea that I didn't know what family meant at that time. And so I remember then that night when I came home to Pam, my sister, she helped me take pictures of me and Olivia that were sweet. And then there was me and Pam and Olivia. And then there was me, Pam and mom. My mom had come over that night too. And so like, we were still a family. We were just a new yeah. family. But in that moment, I would not have thought that. Even as a therapist, yeah. I was in I was in shame. I was yeah. in like, I fucked this up. The yeah. family's ruined. My daughter's never going to have a family. Yeah. So to your point about like what's going on with your daughter or for anybody who's struggling with what's going on with their kids, some of it may be them. Some of it may be you. You yeah. know, like some of it may be your own shame that you're unraveling sure. and working out. Yep. And it doesn't mean that they don't have it because I do want children to have access to therapy if they need it. But it doesn't mean that because you're having shame that they are either. Because in that moment, it wasn't the case. I was just blaming myself for the fuck up of a divorce, right? When really my daughter was just like, oh, like then we ended up sending pictures and her dad sent pictures with his family. So she had all these like, it was kind of a cool thing that ended up happening for her. And so like, I would say whenever you're feeling those moments for anybody listening, like go first, go within your reactions are your own. And so if you're having an emotional reaction, first do some of that self-compassion work of like, Hey, you're doing the best you can. And like, like get yourself in a grounded space before you even kind of try to address the things with the kids. Cause sometimes it's you putting your emotions onto kids. And that was a moment where I was doing it with her. Like I was like, I fucked up and I'm not going to be a family and I'm ruining her life. And I think yep. there's a way you do that when you've divorced, you blame yourself for all this stuff that like some of that stuff is happening to your kids and some of it isn't. And that's the hard, that's the hard thing to tease out. Um, but there are times when your kids like to your point, like every year they develop new cognitive ability. They do ask questions. Like my daughter's asking me questions now about like, did you live with your, my daddy? Like, were you married? And I have to like, have that conversation like, yeah we were married and and she said well why aren't you why aren't you married now like so she's asking them all like curious yeah. so what I'm trying to do is just keep it normal keep it casual like answer honestly like sometimes couples just don't work well together and me and your dad for whatever reason didn't but now I've got I've got a new person that's living here so now I'm with Shane and right. and it works better but you know like you may have that experience too I don't know you know like so yeah. I just I try to keep it really casual and normal yeah. but like if you were a parent having those conversations I would 
I would challenge you to meet yourself with some self-compassion. And if you, if you can't answer in that moment, because emotionally you're feeling so torn, it's okay to step away and come back because these moments aren't gone. This is the other thing. Like you can have a moment again. Like you can be like, I can't talk about it right now, but I want to talk to you about it. So like, let me get back to you, you know, like, and then go cry in a corner if you need to do what you need to do. Or this is the other thing it's valuable to cry in front of your kids too. Like if you're struggling with something, you can also just say, you know, I'm still struggling with these. So you're, you're not doing anything wrong asking me these questions. It's just sometimes thinking about it makes me a little sad because I'm still working on this. Like I'm still working through this. Doing something like that is teaching your kids how to grieve and that it's okay to grieve and be sad. It's okay for mommies and daddies to be sad and it's okay to be sad in front of your kids. Yeah. Um, if you can meet yourself with compassion through that, you are teaching your children how to do the same thing. Yeah, there's so much to that dynamic of being a parent and going through this. And if, especially if it wasn't your decision and how do you answer that question and and not interject your own yeah. hurt and, and sometimes anger. And it's just, it's a tough thing to navigate. I don't, I don't recommend this divorce shit to anybody, but it's tough to, it's, it's really... There's there's a part that's it's really tough to accept um, it and 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 be okay with it because it is so devastating and it's like it's it, you know it, it's okay it will be but boy it would be a lot better if it didn't so it's it's really this sort of for me I I mean I'm I'm I, I am at acceptance it is what it is again if she knocked on the door I'd be like I don't think so you you done you fucked know, up I'm not system. going through that again that yeah thank you no thank you but but it's still it's really very difficult and so it's like this you know like acceptance that it is a thing and that you can survive it can be difficult because it feels invalidating because it's so hard right and so mm-hmm. it's like it, it's it's almost two sides of your mouth like ah it's gonna be okay but but boy, is it really hard, but it, it it's like this, like if it's going to be okay, then it's not a big deal, but boy, it's a fucking big deal. So it's, 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 it's hard for me sometimes to, to square it and to, to be like, to, to know that it's, it is going to, I know it's going to be okay. I know, I believe that my life will be better for it uh, because I choose it to be not because I wanted it to be uh, in terms of, I didn't want the divorce. I didn't, I didn't want a new path, but I'll be fucked if I'm not going to do everything in my power to make sure it's a better path. Right. Uh, but that's yeah. still, it's, it's almost invalidating in some ways to be like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you're going to, you know, you well, life, think, life goes on. I think that to your point too, like something I want to bring up is the idea that like, it is harder to go through a divorce if you didn't choose it. Oh like, yeah. Like oh, you yeah. had this thrust upon you. Right. And so in your situation or in anyone else's who's listening where you didn't want this, there's an added component of grief, which is the shock denial lasts longer, actually. Like sometimes you're like, no, this isn't what I want. I'm not going to know. I don't agree to this. So like it's like you had to go through it kicking and screaming. Right. That's not what you wanted. And you don't like if you so like in my situation for example we both were finally at a place where we were like hell no this we we realize we're just not good for each other but before that if i had tried to divorce him then he would be going through the process of kicking and screaming right yeah so like it's different if you you both are like no you've come to terms yeah this just isn't a good relationship but you had to go through that after the fact so for anybody in your position it's always a little bit harder and there's an extra component of 
how do I accept that this was thrown at me as opposed to I chose this? And to take this into any sort of trauma language, like the pandemic is an example of this. Nobody asked for or chose the pandemic. It was thrust upon us, right? And so there are things in life that are like that, where you just, all right, fuck, this is what we're doing. I have to do this. And no, I don't think anybody would look at the pandemic and say, well, it was for the best. (laughs) You know, like, no, like we are mostly pissed about it, annoyed about it. Some of us are just complacent, but nobody is like at a full acceptance of like, all right, yeah, yeah, that was good for us in some way or that. We should have done that. Because the reality is there are things in life that really are shitty and don't, don't have some sort of rhyme or reason. They just, it's just a shit happens kind of thing. So a divorce against your will is an example of that. A pandemic against the whole world's will is an example of that, right? So when you're building resilience to it, you don't have to convince yourself that it was the right thing. You can, you can accept for yourself that no, this, this really isn't what I wanted, but since it is what's happening, here's how I'm going to make the most of it. But I, I, to the end of my life, I will accept that I do not like what happened there. I do not accept or agree that that was good for me. But I do, the things that are good for me are that I'm not with a person who doesn't want to be with me. Mm-hmm. I am not in a situation where I'm unhappy. Like, so, and I'm just giving examples, sure. but like, what you can do is find the things that are, are, and these are the grateful piece. So I'm using these yeah. two skills again and again. These are the things that I am grateful for as a result of this occurring. So like I've done this with the pandemics, like, no, I hate all that shit about the pandemic, but like things I'm grateful for are the pandemic taught me how to like actually take sick days. Mm. I'm a, I am a type a plus personality. Like I know there's a's, but there's, I'm an a plus. Like I literally (laughs) can fill every minute of every day with so many things. Cause I want all the things, all the things I will do all the things. You can hear it in the way I went through my divorce. I'm going to fill my time. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to Malaysia. That's Angela. (laughs) Okay. So I, but that, that strength, it's a strength. It's also comes with a weakness Sure. because the weakness is slow the fuck down. It's okay to relax. So the pandemic was great for me because I had to learn to slow the fuck down and like actually take a sick day instead of trying to power through it. And so your divorce or anyone's divorce may not may be against your will like and you hate it and you're mad at the person for who did it and you have every right to feel all those things and it's about all right well while this sucks how do i make the most of what i've got and how do i make sure that i live a life worth living regardless yeah. does it make sense no it does i just thinking about it, it it's it's a it's an opportunity that I didn't want, but it is an opportunity. I say that all the time. It is an yeah. opportunity. You, you know, I had a, a guest on uh, the loneliness guy, and he said it's it's like that present in the back of the tree that's wrapped in shit. <laughs> Nobody yeah. wants it. Nobody wants it. But there it is, and you got you got to you have to take it. It's it's you don't you don't. There, what choice do you have? And and it it is an opportunity. It's just sometimes it's like, boy, I didn't ask for this, but. I, I can't, yeah. you know, what am I, I can't, I say this all the time too. It's like, what, what are, what are my choices here? Can I go back? Unless doc Brown rolls up in the driveway with his DeLorean and with the flux capacitor, mm-hmm. I'm not going back in time. So I can't change it. I can't make her change her mind. You can't make people do what they don't want to do ultimately. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're not, if you have no power or authority over them, uh, you can't make someone love you certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so what are your options? Uh, and, and eventually it takes it takes a while it's to accept it and 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 look for the the areas that, that 
you can work on yourself and improve yourself because yeah, suddenly you're faced with, <clears throat> I have all this free time. Mm-hmm. You have a void and it's like, what do I fill it with? Like I can fill it with going hiking with, with, with meetup groups or, or I can fill it with going to the bar and getting shit paced, like choose wisely. Um, but it is an opportunity. And, and if you pass it up, I, I, you could end up just fucking repeating the cycle. I mean, fuck well, using self-compassion. It's okay to not accept this for a time. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to not be ready yet. Like, and that's that internal monologue is what helps people. And I'll be honest, I went and got shit faced a lot. Like sure. that is oh, another I... way that I struggled with it. Um, yeah. to the point, I mean, to be fair, like that I've I'm like, that was really bad. <laughs> like I was drinking every night, like yeah. one, two bottles of wine, like every yeah. night, just to like numb. Cause I'm an escape. I'm an escape artist. Yeah. That's what I will do. I will escape, 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 escape. And so I have since, like I got into so much of habitual drinking that I've sensed this year. I'm like, I really like, it became too much a part of my life. So that's yeah. another area where I'm like, no, I'm not, this is not going to define who I am. I don't yeah. want to drink and have this be the only way that I've, yeah. you know, like I've handled life, but yeah. I, I guess I, I want to normalize that everybody does all these things and yeah. I don't want people to shame themselves over it as well. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Yeah. I'm, you're probably going to shit face yourself a bit because you're just so sad yeah. and don't let it get the best of you and yeah. keep remembering who you are and find a way to find that, like that sense of security and worthiness and alcohol doesn't give that alcohol. No, really, the opposite. It ruins it. Yes. <laughs> but it, it, it's a it's a great I would say it's a great illusionist alcohol is because it makes you think that you will feel these good feelings but what's interesting is you only get about one to two hours of the good effects yeah. and then because the brain can't handle being high for too long it rushes in with depressants mm. uh, to to counterbalance so that's the homeostasis your brain needs so that's why people when they're about two to three hours in they'll start crying hysterically yeah. or get really angry yeah, or do yeah, weird yeah. shit because your brain has to reset itself with the downers and then you have that downer last for a really long time then you feel depressed the next day <laughs> oh yeah yeah but just so you know if you use it there will be some pros and cons <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, I I don't recommend it. But but yeah, I'm I'm trying I try. I, I oh, <laughs> yes. Nobody listens to Michael. It's it's it's, it's a shame that the world doesn't listen to Michael. But I mean, I I I, I did it too. I mean, I of course I did. I I you did didn't my, listen to it yourself. That's why I'm very accepting of like I don't want anybody to feel shame because shame does nothing. Yeah. But like, uh, but cause more harm. But like, yeah, you're sure. gonna do this. You're gonna do that. It's okay. It's okay to struggle with this. And what are you gonna? How are you gonna grow from it? How are you yeah. gonna learn from this? Yeah. Again, it's like if you, you said don't drink everybody's gonna be like fuck right. i'm gonna drink the whole thing <laughs> yeah i'll show you <laughs> two bottles fuck it i'm doing three um, <laughs> i'm not supposed to drink but i can't <laughs> we all do it yeah okay. very true very true <laughs> Uh, well, Angela, this has been amazing. Thank you very much. We started yeah. off on on uh, in infidelity, and, and and we weaved our way through so many things. Thank you for doing yeah. this. This is really fun. Uh, hope we can do it again. Um, you mentioned some books. Uh, well, actually, yeah. first before we get to that, uh, I'll ask you the last question, and then we'll get to that at the very end. Uh, so the last question I ask everybody is, what words of wisdom would you impart to a man who is just starting his divorce journey? I would definitely say get some help get some help and work on your self-compassion. Cause like, if you can, if you can work on that compassion and gratefulness, then you will make it through this, but, but get some help. And that means either therapy or community or both because men really struggle with that. They really do. So find a way to connect with others. That's, that's what every man needs. 
Yeah, agree. A little I, more of. Yeah, I couldn't can't argue that. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, how can people find you? Where where can you find your books? All that good stuff. Absolutely. So my website is www.therapistinstlouis.com. No dots, no hyphens, just therapist in St. Louis. Or it's funny, some guy called me in the middle of the night and he said, the rapist in St. Louis, so whatever, <laughs> it's fine. But it's, it's the same spelling. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my two books, Premarital Counseling, A Guide for Clinicians and uh, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity are both on Amazon and they're both written for both clients and clinicians. So they're easy enough to read for a regular person, uh, but they also give strategies and tips for therapists who are trying to help people. So you'll get a little window into the world of what would therapy be like. And then, um, yeah, those are the ways to reach out to me. I also have a YouTube channel where I put little skills and tips. So just look up Angela Skirtu, S-K-U-R-T-U in YouTube. And I have like tons of videos on sex, infidelity, relationships, mental health of just different skills and strategies to like work on these things. So please check out my YouTube, which is an easy free thing you can subscribe to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'll put the link uh, and everything in the show notes uh, so that uh, guys can can find it easily. Thank you again for doing this. I really appreciate it. I uh, hope that we can uh, do it again in the future for sure. Absolutely. This is very fun. Yeah. Thank you and take care. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. Thank you to Nick Coyle and Lifer for allowing me to use their song, Born Again, which you're hearing now and at the intro to the podcast. Thank you to Justin Dillahanty and all of my brothers at The Alpha Code. Please visit the website, risingphoenixpodcast.com to connect with me and other like-minded men who are looking to thrive and grow after their divorce. And remember to surround yourself with people who add value to your life, who challenge you to be greater than you were yesterday, who sprinkle magic into your existence like you do to theirs. Life is not meant to be done alone. Find your tribe. Take care.